You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Ferrix, and welcome to the show. So before we start, um, the website is back up, and there has been some changes um, in the layout, some of the design, and there's also been some new blog posts and um, some new updates on some future events. But... Other than that, I hope you guys are doing well, and I want to say hello to my first guest on here today. Matt, how are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. So um, we have another guest coming in, Danny. He'll be here shortly. Um, But I think to kind of start right now and get into it, today's show and today's topic is going to be primarily focused on high and low culture and what do we actually mean by high culture and low culture in terms of... I guess you could put it to art, you could do it according to movies, performance art, you could really point it to a lot of different places and see where you could take it. So I I think one of the descriptions we could talk about and get started is, uh, actually, you know, before we even give a description of that, I think when we talk about culture itself, cultural divisions, I think sometimes a lot of people see you know, these types of conversations and these types of topics as being too, in a sense, you know, it's academic, but in a sense, it affects everybody's life. And whether or not you look in, you look into it deeply, like we're going to do today, or you kind of acknowledge it and just kind of have it in the back of your head. I think talking about this aspect of culture in particular is important to help us understand one another, particularly on, you know, cultural divides, but I also think it'll help us understand where a lot of our influences and inspiration comes from and primarily and what what that what those inspirations and those influences can do, not just for ourselves, but for like a society and culture at large. So I, I think having a discussion about culture and particularly today high and low culture is important because it gives us a viewpoint and a, a more even a magnifying glass on our culture and allows us to kind of dissect things and then accurately describe what we're seeing in today's world. Now, Matt, why do you think talking about, let's say, high and low culture in particular, but just in culture in general, why do you think it's essential to talk about? And do you think that it's is do you think it's all positives or do you think there's positive negatives to talking about culture? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, anytime we talk about anything to do with culture is always a good time with me because culture is just such a fun thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, using the definition for culture yes. of 
the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement mm. regarded collectively. Okay. Like okay, that that's definition. just a very basic like Google definition, definition right? That's very good. <laughs> I think it's good. But a manifestation of human achievement, basically, is what you could look at as culture being. Yes. And breaking it down into high and low, I think, is another really good way to do it. Okay. I would say that taking a more postmodern approach is yes. somewhere where I would lie. Okay. Where the lines are more blurred now than they ever have been. Mm-hmm. In regards to what's high culture, what's low culture, throw in pop culture or okay. mass culture. Yes, okay. Yeah, we're, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the distinctions. We can get into all of that. For sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so um, for you, though, do you feel that when – do you feel like a lot of people focus – like? so I find a lot of people focus too much on politics and not on culture or they focus too much on – other aspect of the, of the world, but not focusing on culture and how much influence it actually has on what makes society run and tick. So do you feel that – how do you feel we can get individuals out there to look at culture as – just as valuable as a data point than politics and philosophy and all this other stuff? I mean I think that a lot of people probably don't you know they appreciate it more than they realize just okay. because they're they're not thinking about like oh this is culture that i'm consuming right okay. now like yeah. this is cuz it does it's a huge driving force in society 100% so it's like it's almost omnipresent in a lot of ways it's mm. there whether you realize it or think about it or not like you're being affected by culture with almost everything you consume got you okay as a citizen of a nation yeah. you know like their specific culture because it is <laughs> it varies place to place obviously yes but it's a huge influence on how you develop as a person even is what culture you belong to or what cultures you choose to identify to with to identify with okay now the interesting thing that i find when it comes to the way i look at high culture and a lot of people have, have described it this way, and we, we get into low culture in a little bit. But, you know, my definition for high culture would probably be, it probably would be something to the effect of a set of cultural products, mainly in the arts, held in highest esteem by a culture. And pri- and, th- and this particular culture is primarily the culture of elites such as the aristocracy or intelligentsia. And... I think that high culture in, in itself has influenced pop culture just as low culture and w- which we can get into like distinction between low and popular culture and mass culture. But I, I do think that as high culture has been seen in different light throughout different times. So like for instance, um, just a quick example, uh, classical music, very, you know, it's not very often that a lot of people take time out of their day to listen to classical music or time out of their month or week or even year to listen to classical music. But classical music today is seen in a very howdy towdy, high culture, you know, aristocratic type of sense. But when classical, you know, quote unquote classical music was being released, that was the popular music. You know, that was the music being played. To the masses, it wasn't just for the you know aristocracy or for. So I guess I'm not saying the definition has changed, but I guess people's perception of certain things have changed over time, and thus it can high culture in terms of a defining, trying to you know objectively define it, 
I guess a lot of that has to be placed on because it's hard objectively, objectively to find high culture. But I think you can define it in a sense that cultural products held in the highest esteem by a culture. I think that is a good objective definition regardless of context like the classical music uh, example. Now, what do you think high culture is? I mean, uh, in your estimation. <clears throat> so when I was just researching it, yes. right, I think that to me it's almost – I'd say it's very important to identify the old – like what high culture used to mean okay. versus what it means now Yeah, because it's pretty different in my opinion. I think it held a lot more esteem back in the day. You know, okay. it was more – Pre it was more prevalent as an idea like oh this is high culture this is like off limits to me like this is mm. for the ruling class whereas uh, now I see. high culture has bled into pop culture just a different okay. you know a more widely available mass okay yeah um subculture it's less of like a aristocracy ruling class mm -hmm. like only the very few have access to it okay um it's definitely become more accessible to large larger groups of people Okay, gotcha. So I think looking at it um, from that perspective is probably pretty important. Mm -hmm. Now, do you do you think that in in some ways, I, I would make the argument that the big change probably happened in like the early nineteen sixties, maybe something like that. So I would guess that high culture was pretty much has always been seen as serious, not commercial, genuine or maybe authentic. That was like an, that's another example of it. Demanding. That's like another thing I would take from high culture as well. It's art that you have to con or it's it's art or whatever that you have to contend with. Well, you know what I mean? Not, like it takes a cultivated mind to and the, understand and then, it. See, and yeah, and then that goes into like high culture also being associated with educated people and people who've have formal education. Let's put it that way. Now, on the other hand, when, when I talk about, when I talk about I'm trying to think of how I could put this low culture, see, and, and the thing is like, before I get into low culture here, something I want to bring up is I do think a lot of times the terms high and low culture can be used in a derogatory way. And I see what, what people, you know, mean by that. And I think we can get into that discussion after we kind of give what we think about as high and low culture actually is. But I truly think that these terms, if you I – mean, so I think it depends on context. How are you using these terms? If you're using these terms in a sense to be demeaning in one way or the other, I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's it's actually quite dangerous to do that because it can cause some issues. But I would also make the the statement that – at the same time, I think you need to differentiate between these these types of cultures and, you know, or these types of subcultures because it does – because it's not just regional because in the south and in the north, there is areas where high culture is paramount and low culture is paramount. So I, I do think people have misconceptions of what high and low culture actually is and how does that apply across the board. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about European or Middle Eastern cultures. I want to kind of stick, stay focused on, Amer you know, on American culture. And I think that would probably be the best way. But I do think that it would be best to 
break it down a little more. So I, I guess when I let's uh, before I get into low culture though, I do have a couple more things to to mention on high culture. So I do think high culture has well, I, I do think well, let's put it this way. I think high and low culture have broken down in a lot of ways and mainly today the division between high and low culture has been increasingly seen as political distinctions rather than by aesthetic or intellectual ones. Uh, we got Danny here. How you doing, Danny? Good. Yo, yo, yo. Awesome. So I was just describing high culture and the way I kind of look at it. Yeah. And I think we can kind of give you a chance to kind of describe what you think of high culture because we're going to get – well, first, I, I actually asked Matt first um, that the reason why – Culture is important to talk about and why talking about the divisions of culture is essential. But I do think that sometimes talking about – I mentioned you know, sometimes talking about high and low culture can tend to be – I hate to use the word problematic in a way depending on how you're using the terms high and low culture and whether or not you're using it as, as purely descriptive or proscriptive. And I think that's a distinction that needs to be made. But why do you think talking about culture generally but – high and low culture in terms of cultural products. Why do you think that's so important? Um, well, the way I understand the history of it, and I'm sure it exists pre this time, like I'm sure it's been throughout history in the different eras, Victorian and all. Oh, my, my now rocking on it. There we go. Better. Uh, it goes back to like Clement Greenberg, the art critic in like the thirties, forties, who was big on abstract expressionism. And he wrote this, uh, the sort of like treaties manifesto thing called avant-garde and kitsch where he separated uh, like opera, fine painting, sculpture, all of these different art forms from like what he called Tin Pan Alley music, which is like the beginning of pop music. I think he also mentions advertisements and sort of like the beginning of American capitalist consumer culture and a division from that from like the older art forms. And then I'm um, from more of the the pomo postmodern like like highbrow lowbrow distinction shouldn't be made that that's like it's essentially in a way like anti-egalitarian it's I, I also think it's just incorrect to think that not that there there's also almost a diminishing of of these of pop music and like advertisements as not being art forms or somehow as being lesser in some way and to me it always seems like it's a distinction that's drawn on class lines or at least taste based by class divisions Okay, that's that's interesting. Now, I was describing to Matt earlier that in a lot of ways, high culture, there has been a, I guess up to the 1970s, let's put it that way, has always had these words connected to it. So I guess authentic or genuine, non-commercial, I guess that's another way of looking at it. It's serious. It's demanding. So you have to actually contend with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, therefore, if you have to contend with it, it requires some type of education and one thing that i one thing that i've noticed and kind of understood over time is that i guess when it comes to my understanding of high culture there is i guess a few things we can say when we're describing the different aspects of high culture right and how that plays so i know ernest geller has talked about I guess one of the things he mentioned was that a country that has high appreciation for their high culture or take their high Who culture. Who is Ernest Geller? He's a sociologist. Okay. If I remember correctly. Up on it more. Yeah. Who, who is Ernest Geller? 
So I guess I, he was, uh, I think, a British uh, like, sociologist, right? Well, I guess maybe social anthropologist. Oh, okay. I guess that's more of a philosopher, you could say. And one thing he was saying was that if high culture is in, in, in esteem, then a country tends to be more nationalistic. And I could see that connection there versus, I guess, low culture would kind of, uh, I guess, be, I guess I would, I would say, I would refer to, you could make the argument over time that media that's made for the I guess, like less educated or you could say masses encompassing yeah. things such as reality TV and gossip mm-hmm. magazines and mm-hmm. things like that. But I would also comic make books. Yes, comic books. Exactly. I would also make the connection, though, that there has been an effort to say that popular culture and low culture are synonymous. Right. I think the contemporary definition of low culture is, is essentially popular. pop culture. Yeah. OK. Um, I also think when you brought up the national the idea of like national art and sort of a history of national pride in that, mm-hmm. it also makes me think of that like I guess more historically high culture and low culture are also completely in – uh, imbricated in like colonial ideology. Yes. Like the idea that it's like French cuisine is the highest cuisine or like yeah. French and Italian art. The idea that the Renaissance as a thing is just something that exists solely in one country, like mm. in Italy and basically at the France, time, like, yeah. oh my God, the greatest art in the world was happening in Italy. Well, no, that's because the the first art historians are out of Italy and so they yeah. think like this is some incredible, like there's global art happening everywhere that's True. been pushed down as low culture. Like when I think of like indigenous arts in America, mm-hmm. um, like you look at them, there's this big thing of authenticity about like if a Native American artist somehow – this is going back to early art criticism in American yes. history. But that like if they somehow moved outside of what was considered authentic Native American art, it was inauthentic. And the idea though that like it's – you're boxing them in but then it also connects to like someone like Jackson Pollock is praised for using sort of like that sand art style mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. – that like it's all to serve Western art still like that they're just on this linear path towards – I mean that's modernism I guess. Yeah. It's rooted in that like that there's like high culture and low culture and high culture movie takes from low culture and just even that there is some progression where some culture is better than others. It's, yeah. it's very ethnocentric. It's yes. very unaware of its subjectivity. Got you. It's now, dumb. I see what you're saying for sure. Now I think at least in in that in that description which you were given there – I, I do have a lot of agreement with a lot of that. Um, but, you know, and particularly when you talk about, I guess, culture in general, because I, I, I'm not a cultural relativist in, in most ways. Uh, I wasn't born here. I'm an immigrant to this country. Mm-hmm. And the person I am today in my culture would probably be punished for a lot of different things. So like, for instance, being an atheist, not being, not necessarily going by some of the contemporary cultural standards that I, so I I do think there is some room there to, I guess in some ways to discuss how some cultures might have better characteristics than others. So for instance, cultures that are tolerant towards people of other religions, people of other ethnicities, people of other uh orient- sexual orientations. Yeah, super valid. Yeah, so I think I think that is like that's where that matters, but in terms of performance art and uh a lot of that stuff, I think like you said, yeah. it really doesn't matter in that sense. I feel like we've come back to this before in multiple conversations mm-hmm. of how slippery and related like Culture is for sure subjective or yeah. at least like culture in the sense of art forms. Yes. But that morality is something that I think we all kind of would want to think is objective, that there yes. is right and there is wrong. Yes. And then 
they they but they're always connected to each other, and that's where it's so difficult. Like we always came back to that yes. one of like people sacrificing people. Like, can you? Is it fair to go into a country? Yes, and, and stop them, and yeah, from sacrificing their own people. Was that a cultural thing? Are we not understanding there? Yeah, it's, it's a no, for sure, exactly. Wild world. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to to add on that? Um, I just getting back to high versus low. Okay, please. <clears throat> Uh, like the stuff that Danny had brought up that was from, you know, the distant past mm-hmm. was all, I think, like, you know, it's important to recognize that that is what people thought high culture, thought of as high culture back in the day when it was happening. Yeah. But today, the lines are a lot more blurred than that. Yeah, for um, sure. I would, yeah, tend to agree. So just, we, I think we should get into maybe like how those lines got blurred. Okay. Maybe the results of the blurred lines to culture as a whole. I also – I don't know. I kind of – and that blurring is good because, yeah, like it's been like 50 years since Andy Warhol. And yeah, like, and that's huge. And there's definitely like pop music I do think now today more than ever is viewed in like a high art sensibility. The Beatles happened. Like the Beatles I think – while not everyone may agree on them, they're at least taken very seriously or at least like – you know what I mean? They're not thought of – Mm-hmm. In the but then again, boy bands today are still kind of thought of as a joke in the collective imagination. I think like there are some people out there who write like serious articles on One Direction, and I think that's dope. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. But yeah, I guess like our highbrow and lowbrow are almost like outdated a little bit today. Okay. Like I don't know where do you guys do you guys do, how do you actually use them in everyday speech? Do you hear so, friends saying them in conversation ever? So uh, I have, I guess in they they didn't explicitly say high and low culture. But they will they will refer to things in certain ways um, that will signify that. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the ways that people tend to refer to high and low culture is they're intentionally really trying hard to say, you know what? Well, the the critics said this, so therefore, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's worth to even go see it. Yeah, you know, I, I get that a lot with a lot of friends when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes. Like, hey, did you go see this movie? Oh, you know, the critics didn't give it a good score. It's like, are you it's almost like the critical commercial divide? Like, commercial appeal represents lowbrow, but critical appeal represents like a highbrow sense. Yeah, and then you it. could you could take that into like you know academia in a sense. Like a lot of these people are you know ac- you know in a lot of way academics. Yeah, and you know when they write about a lot of this stuff, it is coming from an academic you know approach mm-hmm. most of the time. And you know that being said. Said most people don't look at things with an academic approach. Yeah, and that's like, and the thing is, for a lot of critics, I think, like one thing I, I tell people all the time when we talk about movies, is like, well, so what do the critics say? It's like that's important, but my thing is, was it fun? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people who look at art in all types of forms tend to forget the fun factor. Yeah, especially if it's like you know, if, if you're a critic, the fun factor I think is a, is an essential variable there. As well as how's the cinematography? Right. How's you know how's the right. screenplay? And know? I think though I also think those two things are are interconnected. And okay. Kind of one and the same. Like the cinematography is like a sleight of hand trick mm. that you maybe don't realize is part of why you're having fun. Like they like everything okay, could yeah. be done the exact same way, but if the cinematography is different, it might not be as much fun for some. Like I guess. Yeah, that's actually a great. That's a great point. Think about Cloverfield, the first one. And how that was filmed, you know, all in handy cam. Yeah. And, and everything was like shaking around. It right. seemed like a found footage movie, but it was done for like a Blair Witch project, but that was never done for like a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's a way of looking at it. Yeah. Like I also think a good critic should come with that same thing of was it fun, especially depending on like what the movie is. Like, yeah. 
Like I'm not gonna go see There will be blood. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go see like the latest like Seth Rogan Franco flick and be like the lighting was whack. Like whatever like the project is, like I think you kinda know what the rubric yeah. should be for it. So you think there's a, there's in in a, in a way, depending on the context of who's making it, what is the genre that's and that's See, because, because that's it, always, it built it, it builds some you know in some ways it creates a hierarchy then at, at that point you're also projecting your idea of like what the movie was trying to do onto it okay you know what I mean that's like saying, saying like yeah. like assuming like for the example I brought up like assuming that the Seth Rogen James Franco movie isn't going to be about the lighting well how do I know like that's like me like I can assume it and to me it is pretty obvious but like but the, yeah. it's still me projecting something objective onto something subjective. but can you can you then make can you make then make the assumption that the Seth Rogen flick is actually going to be marketing towards popular culture, mass culture, or some would say low culture. Or, or would you, could you – would that give you a distinction of that? Because I, so, I think that's where it gets kind of crazy and interesting here. Uh, this can – we can kind of take a step back and get back into the definitions of high and low. OK. Please. One of the arguments that I was hearing when I was doing research for this yeah. was that they're both subcultures – Right, mm-hmm. they're contained within the mass culture was the ah, term that kept okay. coming up, right? Okay. So instead of them being like each their own, you know, separate, like there was high culture and there was low culture, and they were yeah. very distinct and very yeah. separate. Back in the, like for Renaissance type paintings and stuff, that would yes. be high, you know. Now it's much more blurred, where there's elements of high culture in low culture. Elements of low culture and high culture, they're influencing each other mm-hmm. and becoming this mass media culture that didn't used to exist in the past. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a new frontier for culture, anthropology type stuff. Mm. Okay. So do you find that – because, you know, we, we talk about high culture and what I – I guess let's – I guess we can kind of break down like how this manifests, how how it would manifest, I guess – so, for instance, well, do we ever really have a – do we ever like find any agreement, quick, real quick, on whether popular culture is completely low culture? I mean, do you find that to be the case, Matt? Or are those are those are those synonymous, or is there is there Ag- something that again these lines are so blurred? Like low culture could be you could be using it in a positive light. Well, let's just let's just say that let's just use it as a positive light for the rest of this conversation. Meaning that I'm going to refer to low culture in a positive light. Do you think – and I'm going to refer to popular culture in a positive light and not use them like, oh, pop culture. Oh, you know, not, <laughs> you know, not that. Do you think that um, – I mean, the, the, the I kind yeah, of feel see, like built into the word is the idea that it's lesser. It's low. You're setting up a hierarchy and you're suggesting that something is less than another. Well, I, I see the thing the way and then I, I see think what you're a saying. Celebration the today terms. of like being anti-academic and being like check well, it out. And that, like, like going, that's, it's, it's going to, to the origins time. of the terms that it didn't mean that. Yeah. Like right. it was yes. it was for the lower right. classes. Yeah. It was like their yeah. entertainment the and culture. The you know, like exactly what was the Roman phrase about like give them bread in a circus and they'll be fine. Like that <laughs> was the primo low culture entertainment. I love that. That's a great. You know, I feel like we've come up with some good album titles on this show. (laughs) Yes, bread in a circus. (laughs) I just gave you bread in a circus. You should be happy. You should be happy. We can swear, right? Of course, yeah. Of course, Uh, yeah. Go ahead, swear as much as you want. Um, Yeah. So, uh, so I guess like when we talk about high culture, 
the way I they I, I try to give an objective definition of it, and it was a set of cultural products, mainly in the arts, held in the highest esteem by a culture, and primarily it's the culture of an elite or an such as in the aristocracy or intelligence. Yeah. So okay. So like that's I like that idea that it's up to the culture to determine what's high and low. Because now I'm thinking of it in like generational terms. Like I yeah. think we grew up in a boomer world where it was yeah. like classic rock. Now this is real art. Dark side of the moon. Are you kidding me? Those guys are on some stuff. <laughs> None little, of this new alternative little, Nickelback little, stuff. Yeah, little, or even though I think that boomers still even respect like where we are like that shit's corny. I think boomers are yeah. like well they're playing real instruments. Like I think they're like this little peep shit. I don't know what this is about or like or that bleep bloop Skrillex madness like I think like there was definitely like we grew up with like there's, yeah, there's a lot in the collective imaginary there's some preconceived ideas of like what's authentic and what's inauthentic yeah and then now I think generation uh, generationally though we're going to see a shift in that like I don't know what it's going to be next that's going to be considered inauthentic maybe it is classic rock like maybe I don't know maybe now in retrospect it's flipped I don't think that's happened. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's happened. It's not thought of as like inauthentic or not real. Yeah, yeah. More up on it, really. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that. Um, so yeah, I would say that. I think that definition makes me feel better about using that term in the sense that it's it's what a what the arts mainly a set of cultural product that the you know mainly in the arts held in the highest esteem by a culture on why versus. I think the the tricky part is making sure it's the culture that's so, that's like sovereign and representing itself on what's high and low because yeah. with the whole colonial history you're seeing like these other countries that are growing up believing that like something euro of euro descent is automatically in a higher regard. I mean, yeah. It's just kind of built into well, how and even if it's not straightforward like that it's just built into the way taste yeah. is spread. Gellner does get into that a lot yeah. where instead of saying each individual culture is both high and low or within the culture, yes. he'll say that each individual culture can be high or high low. High or low. So it's like you have entire cultures of nations that are high versus entire cultures of nations that are considered low. Power okay. and knowledge. Yeah. Well, that, there's a lot there. But I would also make the argument that within other cultures, you have high and low yeah. in a lot of ways around the world. I, so I, I would – but I would also make the, the statement that – so when we look at high culture, I'm kind of referring to let's say opera. Yeah. Perhaps even, I guess, French film, foreign film in general. Like opera, like that's funny too because like that's something that's just like it's historically been decided now even, yep. It's been like historically like decided in our brain that like opera is like, man, that's the real like that's high art. And like opera has no actual – I mean I might be coming from – the wrong perspective here but it seems like opera has no fucking weight today actually. Yeah. Like like, what was the last uh, – That's not necessarily – I don't know for sure. I'm already passed. But okay, I don't even know who. Like, what was the last like major? Like, it's like it's. Oh, let's see. Who is it? Who is it? I, I mean, don't even look think at that, look not, at like Phantom of the Opera is still a huge okay, part that of was, culture today. And that was, but that's a while ago now, but right? Okay, okay, but it's, it's accepted as like a classic movie. Sure, sure but I'm just play, saying it's, whatever. But it's but it's affected. But you have to understand, it's sort of like Latin. It's like a dead language. It's just held in high regard. Which like, is, yeah, which I think, yeah, I think a I lot mean, of things in in high culture is like that. It's a classical art. I mean. Right, it's a classical art, and so the, even the idea of classical, there's automatically politics built into that, and a Eurocentric framework built into that. That classical art, we have antiquity era, Greece, and then Rome, and then EU, the dirty Middle Ages, where nothing matters, nothing good has happened, and then the Renaissance. Oh my God, thank God we've gone back to these classical ideologies uh, that are super Western. I, see, Once again, I, the rebirth I of real these, art. When I hear these terms, I don't take it 
with that I sense of just yeah. like you know, like it's just it's what a term? way it's of not a west and east thing. It's a way of using, it's a way of using time to separate okay. periods of yeah, art okay. into easily identifiable I'm just saying that the way those, the way those periods, but literally the history of those periods being broken up in that way, is written on those lines. Okay, so it was written see. by a person in whatever era who could only mm-hmm. look at things from that context right, right. where, oh, this is all new art that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Therefore, mm-hmm. the past was the bad where nothing happened. And I'm happened, saying these are a lot of these, the current these are building is, blocks of current ideologies too though that still exist and are just sort of have become naturalized over time because they're the dominant ideology. And so it's not even like – Critically, I mean, it is critically analyzed. Obviously, like most sure. liberal schools today, yes. liberal arts schools, you're gonna get this shit. Definitely, Foucault. Yeah, wraps up. <laughs> well. But like, I guess like um, when I think of classical art, I I do think of antiquity in a lot of ways. Well, that's what classical, like the term like proper classical, classical yeah. is literally referring to like Greek Roman art, like a Roman art, and yeah. the Renaissance art is that the rebirth of that Renaissance, Renaissance French to yeah, birth, to the birth, rebirth yes. of that, and then that's when the beginning of art history, written art history, actually starts. Giorgio Vasari, mm-hmm. and I mean, like I guess what, I know these are old terms, but I'm just saying that our new terms. Are not are are not. born out of those. Uh, okay. Now, when you say, I, I also would consider like a lot of ancient, you know, Persian art, right? Like um, even art from the Middle Ages, Middle is Ag- medieval art, medieval. like that's accepted as a very, very valid it, school. You know, like art group term school, whatever. Right. That didn't always exist, though. That had to that came in later on. That came upon the app. Yeah. So yeah, the way so I, I the, the main disagreement I have here, I guess, in a sense, is I don't think. Classical art antiquity just includes Greco-Roman art. Yeah, I think it would also include you know Chinese, you know Japanese, yeah. Korean, right, Middle Eastern, all areas. cultures, all, all from, cultures that's old. Yeah, all cultures that Ancient. were yeah before a certain. period I mean, of I history. like that as like a subversion of the the term. traditional mm-hmm. use of the term. I think that's like I'm not fully. See, I think with see, that. I would see, I would make the argument that's the objective way of like. Analyzing that, right? I, versus, I mean, versus a more ethnocentric or you know Western, you know centered viewpoint. I think that's more of a universalist viewpoint in the sense that all art that's classical that was made before a certain era right. includes all art from all parts of the world. Yeah, because what, what really matters is the human condition and the human experience. And I think you know that would take away from you know the culturalist point of view like art is art it exists as it exists how what you say it belongs to how you classify it doesn't necessarily matter because you can do that in so many different ways it almost becomes arbitrary okay yeah, for, okay can i pose a question to you guys please do is there any way to, is it possible to remove politics from this conversation well that's that's I'm actually if very you think interesting if, you, yeah. if you, either of you think this how you guys um, feel about if this question I'm, is implicitly political or if it's not the idea of high and low culture? Do you think it's possible? There's a lot of there's but there's a lot of there's a lot of connection with with the political stuff. Yeah, I'd um, say it depends on like how you phrase it, how you want to look at it. If you want to include the politics, you can make it this discussion all about the politics. If yeah. you don't want to look at the politics, I think it's probably possible to. You know, focus the discussion in a way that would mm-hmm. exclude it completely. Yeah, I would also make this. You know, you guys mentioned that the conceptual barriers between high and low have kind of deteriorated over time. Yeah. Now that being said, I guess today a lot of the divisions between so-called high and low culture have been mostly seen as political. Right. Would you guys agree with that? Like today, most distinction between high and low culture is political. 
Uh, I don't know that I'd say most. I think a lot of it is more like the pop culture some, mass guess, media. Guess, why don't you rather, just, rather why don't than you both F- offer examples. So, like, so, be- so for instance, high and low culture. At a certain point in time, it was mostly about aesthetics or intellectual things, and I would say today it's more focused on the political stuff. Um, so, for instance, um, uh, let's take. High culture would be going and seeing Shakespeare, you know, in the park, uh, and that would be towards a certain political demographic. That's why, you know, when that happened, Shakespeare's maybe Shakespeare may not be the best example, just because he's one of the artists that's kind of blurred the lines between high and low. True, you know, he's but, like but, the most accessible poet of all time. I agree, but what I'm saying is it's a pretty low that, culture trait to have. I agree, and I think that's 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 a really important thing to ma- distinction to make. But we'll get into that in a second. Versus, like you know, going to a NASCAR event, right? But you know what so, I mean. And, like, the thing, and the thing from there is like people will make us. If you tell them this group here went to this event and this group here went to that event, yeah. at the people same can time, automatic, people will automatically like, oh, what do they think about this? What do they think about guns? They'll automatically create the caricature of the individual yeah. as some political human. But they could create it completely wrong. Like, let's. You could I agree. Have, you could it's have mostly some... wrong. Like underprivileged kid living in yes. the projects who's super into the opera and yes. like wants to learn how to play the violin. Yes, but know then, a few of those and people. you could have some president of the world who really enjoys like twerking music, <laughs> which yeah, would be considered I, a low culture thing I, I, for such a high class guy to yeah, be. Yeah, I think I think it's see the thing is I think that's possible, but like Danny was trying I guess what you're trying to bring up and correct me if I'm wrong here. Hmm. Do you feel do you do you think that that it's it's impossible to remove the political context. One hundred percent. Okay. See, because I I have a agreement with that, but also I also am disagreeing with that in a way. It's yeah. really weird. A uh, part of me, you know, totally thinks that's 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 valid. But the other part of me, if we're talking about history, right, and we're talking about like for me, I, I look at the intel- you know, ideas, right, yeah, and how those have been taken in and out. And so, for instance, when Christianity became vulgarized, became more popular, I guess made more for the masses in terms of printing it in people's own languages and stuff, the Bible, having masses in their own languages, that's when it became, you know, really big and started to expand across the world way more mm-hmm. versus when it was more, I guess, more in a in a high culture context in the sense that you're being read to all this stuff in a language that you don't understand. All the books are in a language that you don't understand. And the intelligentsia, which is the priestly class, and the monks would give you everything you need to know versus your 95 theses, you know, Martin Luther and all that stuff. Things changed in such a way and fashion that it became accessible to everybody. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I guess that's like a distinction to make there, but I guess to define what I'm, what I'm thinking yeah. of when I say that is that your view of high and low culture is, born out of your taste. Your taste is born out of your worldview. Your worldview is born out of your biases, Mm, which are – and it's all – I mean all of those – to me, once you're even at the worldview level, that it's born out of your worldview and what you've been raised in, the the education you've been raised in, which is colored by power. Like it's – that's what it's written in. 
you're going to come at it from some sort of political bias just essentially. Like I mean just the, how your parents raised you and I don't mean just necessarily like Republican or Democratic or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, morality. Just on yeah, just well, a base oh, level so of So if what's, you can't separate it, then it's ultimately irrelevant. You just have to that's, deal with it. That's – yeah. No, for sure. That's an argument. That's like – OK. So like when I interviewed Sarah Rose Sharp, that was the question I asked her is do you think uh, – is all culture political? And she's like, well, when you get to the point that everyone's getting at these days where everything is political, what does the word even mean anymore? But then I brought that statement up to a couple other people and they're like, well, it, that's such an easy way to write off the fact that everything is political and that we need to See, recognize it and that – This is getting interesting. OK. <laughs> I, it's super heavy stuff. No, I, mean, I, I, I agree. I agree. I have a hard time agreeing that everything is political. Hard time agreeing with it. Yeah. Because like I – the way I kind of look at it is mm. politics is downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from psych philosophy. Philosophy is downstream from – What do you mean downstream? Uh, so they influence one another. So I agree with kind of I'm thinking. So <laughs> yeah. if everything is political and you can't escape it, it's going to be – everything has to be different degrees of political, right? Yeah. So it's like – Who's going to be the next president? That's like almost a hundred percent political, super right? political. It's See, mega yeah. but like <laughs> whether whether we <laughs> need exploded. whether we need male and female bathrooms versus just non-binary bathrooms. Yeah. That's less political, more morale morality based mm -hmm. than who's going to be the next president. I see what you're saying. And then take something like. Oh, we should outlaw peanuts at this school because this one kid has a peanut allergy. It's a it's a philosophical argument because <laughs> but it's, it's also it's a, you're you're minimizing yeah. harm, it's maximizing. Just, but it's just it's know. like the, each thing isn't. When I think political, I mean whether or not you should ban peanuts because of a peanut allergy probably has less to do with whether you're liberal or conservative. right conservative than who right you think wing. than who you think is going to be the next president. I I would right yeah, your would political leanings influence what your presidential law, choice what if more the law, so than what if the law has been written by a senator who is specifically backed by big peanut. Well, then you know it comes down to it comes down to I guess what it then that would be more political. I mean, if everything if, had, if everything exists within a market, everything exists within but, politics. So, but my well, point sure. I'm trying to get at is like, yeah, that's why we need to get is, rid of lobbying. What's no. the one Kant thing about? Oh, there's knowledge. There's two types of knowledge, and one of the types of knowledge is useless because it's just like it's man-made knowledge. It's like the sky is blue because we've decided blue is the color of the sky. Like you know what I mean? Newman and like the phenomenal and Newman and world and something like that. Is that what you're? It's like the knowledge that you can get from here is knowledge, but it isn't, you know, the truth. It, the truth it is might out, be that. I'm not familiar with those terms. Yeah, but I guess that's what I'm getting at is like political is like the same thing. Like it's just like, yeah, like whatever way you want to use the word, like it's a man made word mm -hmm. and we can, uh, never mind. No, no, no. It's, it's, go ahead. Please. I can't, I can't clarify it well right now. No, no, um, I see, I see what you're saying. But I guess like for, for me personally, I have, like I said, the reason I have a hard time. I guess breaking that down, I guess, and trying to take it in is, like I said, I think all those things, I think politics is the last thing at the bottom of this water chain. Yeah. And like I said, culture is, uh, politics is downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from philosophy and philosophy is downstream from psychology. And I think if, if we, if we can think of it that way, I, I think that way offers a, an importance on all of them in terms of everything is influenced, but you know, successively by the the thing prior to it. Yeah. But at the same time, it also talks about, because the thing is like, 
when people have a talk about politics, usually there's some moral philosophical background that's being touched at. That's the that's the you know when you unpack it, that's what you're getting at yeah. the end of the day. And I think that is more correct than I would than I, more of a correct way of looking at it than saying it's purely political because it, it is like, political, okay. but it's it could be philosophical. So I just thought of a pretty good example. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> let's say you're eating breakfast, right? Two like cult- where this is going. Two culturally very American breakfasts you could say would be pancakes and syrup. Love it. Versus eggs and bacon. Okay. okay. Now, whether you prefer one or the other is not going to be influenced politically. That's like, you see what I'm saying? Wrong. Here we go. Could because food. And specific dishes carry with them the histories of settlement and carry oh, with them histories sure. of trade. Okay, so even this better is just classic Marxism. This is just classic Marxism yeah. that every historical commodity, every object in the world, historical materialism, What's baby. Going on here? That everything. <laughs> this is where Matt and I differ in general. Is that, or and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes I think you think you can step outside of history, or that words and meanings and things not, can exist not outside step of the history. Outside it, but I don't think you have to get. As you know, like vehemently trapped into in, it. I think we're trapped in it. Mm. Only because you trapped choose to be. Trapped in systems, baby. Damn Only because you choose to be. Oh, wow. This. <laughs> no, but honestly, I see what you're saying. That gets it. Yeah, I guess that's a deeper, like, freedom, freedom yeah. issue. It's, yeah. I it's think a that, cookie line to cross. Well, you don't have to get as into all this stuff as you get. We choose to get into it because it's fun to. You know, explore well, this but stuff, also but. it's fun, but also it has some real implications yeah, not, on I mean, people's interpretation of the world, right? right. And just you how know. the world exists and the structures that yeah govern it. And like, so for instance, um, one thing I I think about that at least in a way is you, I don't think you can like remove yourself from history, but I don't think history has as much. So if, if something happened concerning art. Or the structure of art, or whatever, ten thousand or a thousand years ago, whatever, and then today, that particular view on art let's, is different. I, I would say that the historical thing—it's important to mention that. But I, I would also make the argument that, so for instance, a lot of Soviet art, right, is really interesting and really cool. But you know, a lot of the Soviet Union was not interesting and really cool, and a lot of the <laughs> stuff they did was not interesting and really cool. But the art produced there was, fan- in a lot of ways, fantastic. So I guess I take in effect that a lot of this art was made for the state in glory of the state, and a lot of people didn't really have as much freedom with their art as they wanted to. So there was that. But in, in, a, in another sense, it's, it's fantastic, beautiful art. So I, I think you, yeah, the cultural, I mean, the historical cultural implications are important. I, but like the art itself is the art. I guess my big thing would be though. You're saying the art is great, which is according to your taste. Where'd you get your taste from? I guess where did I get my taste from? Primarily, I would say it's based on, I guess, intuitions. You know, whether – so for instance, whether or not something is aesthetically pleasing to me is more so connected to my psychology than it is to my – Do you think that in some ways rooted in the culture – you grew up in, whether it's American culture or the class level you were in, um, or in some way, I would, I would, the world I would, around you. See, I would, and not just necessarily innate. 
I don't. I wouldn't say it's innate history. Even I would say that there is there is some type of. So, for instance, people have a different disgust sensitivities, right? And if somebody has a high disgust sensitivity, the likelihood they'll be into like grotesque art, you know, H.R. Geiger and all the stuff like that would yeah. be very low. Yeah. So, but so for, for instance, if a person has a high disgust sensitivity, the type of art they could they could appreciate could be art that some people would see as vile and disgusting reactionaries <laughs> they would you know see a lot of that stuff that way versus somebody just taking in the art and appreciating so i think there is something to say about how people their taste is somewhat dependent on their the way they're made up i mean taste is learned right like you learn your taste i don't think you're born with it i don't think you're born with, with it completely i don't think it's and, I, I don't think it's all one way or the other i think it's a little bit of both yeah and i think you know to cuz like in one way like i said if somebody has a high disgust sensitivity, the likelihood they'll be in uh, Swedish – I mean uh, Scandinavian death metal is very right, low. Right. Super low. And – but the thing is that doesn't mean that they can't learn to like it or to appreciate it. But like their initial – like when they first hear it is like I can I can you know go mm-hmm. with this beat or mm-hmm. it's like, oh, God, turn off the screaming now. You know, right. I think a lot of that is cultural. I'm not going to say it's not. But I would also make the argument that a lot of that is also just an initial, you know, intuition. And the initial yeah. intuition happens so quick that mm-hmm. there isn't any time to think about it. It's just like an initial thing. So, instead of saying it's not culture, because I think it is, it's based on the culture, but it has a lot more to what, do what with. Say, what are we referring to? Your taste in taste, taste, Swedish death metal. Okay, right? okay. Um, it's based in culture, but it has a lot more to do with like your parents and your immediate surroundings. Well, I think of that as your culture that you grew up in. But so it it is, but it's whatever bits of all of the mass culture that your parents are really into. Right, right, exactly. That'll hugely influence what you are into. Totally. So it's not you picking up on specific parts of the culture as an individual you. It's more you being influenced on all these bits and pieces that. People in your immediate surroundings. I think those are the same thing to me. Like when I'm saying culture, I'm talking about exactly what you're talking about. But like when talking about his intuitions, like it coming from some innate place within himself. Right. right. It's not. It's not so innate that it's like coming from within yourself exclusively. Yeah. But it's not so broad that it's like, oh, you're just picking and choosing pieces of culture that you've been exposed to. There's more direction towards where you end up than just picking and choosing. Here's another – here's I guess like an example of what I mean by it having something to do with our makeup and the way our brains work. Mm -hmm. So for instance, people that – they've actually had fMRI, you know, live fMRI scans of people's brains when they listen to metal – Particularly like more progressive metal and more, you know, technical metal and certain class or a lot of classical music. Yeah. Certain parts of the brains are activated when listening to that stuff. Therefore, people who tend to have those places activated at that time when they listen to music tend to to find some type of appreciation for. So, for instance, I know a few metalheads that can tell me that they can listen to a. But do you think it was that way at birth also? So the thing is, like, I don't, I, I, I don't know personally, but there's got to be studies on that. For oh, sure. I'm sure there is. I mean, there's there's studies out there that says all types of crazy stuff. We're talking about innateness, yeah. And yeah. You, I definitely have a show on biological determinism that would be, uh, or essentialism that would be actually be an interesting show to talk uh, for about sure. certain of those uh, things. But I think I know, like, so we talk about innateness. I guess stuff that's learned. I guess it's. I'm not saying it's like it's programmed. But I, I do think there is a preference for it. 
right. or like if they're exposed to it, that the my, preference guess, would be there. My larger point overall, when you was in reference to the whole Soviet thing, where yeah. like you were sort of divorcing the idea that you like it, even though its politics aren't something you support. Yes, what I was suggesting is even your act of liking it is is political. Like what I see, like that your taste that where you said, but I know it's good art. Well, where do you know that from? From how history has been written in terms of what's considered good well, art that's affected see, your taste I, of what I, is I get, considered see, good art. The thing is like the way I kind of look at good art, yeah. I guess my uh, distinction and definition of that is, you know, anything that because it it because it, I do find a lot of art to be that. I mean, I guess my standard is kind of low. Maybe people would think that good in the sense that people are working hard to create something of value. And you know, I might not appreciate it the same way I appreciate all yeah. but I can still call it good. And doesn't that feel like – I mean when you say that like works put into it, that feels like that's born out of a certain ideology. Yes, like of a, course. That, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> but of course. So, yeah. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess also to Proceed. go back to earlier with your model of things being downstream from one another, yeah. we differ there too. Okay, when yeah. you're thinking of them as being spatially separated – I think of them as overlapping well, lenses well, through I, which we see the world. I see them being and not just like a Venn but diagram, but like a connected. straight up circle. Like if they, mm. it is a Venn diagram, they are one hundred percent inside each other. Yeah. Yes, there is okay. no no nothing outside. Yes, see, I look at it, I look at it kind of like um, an org chart, like an organizational chart. Okay, where there's the you know the top right here, and then that branches off into everything else. Okay, Matt, you got a model. <laughs> Uh, like a 2D model. I don't, <laughs> yeah, or don't don't currently subscribe to any particular model. I'm open to suggestions. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Easily suggestible. But I guess, you know, we – I guess people talk about high cinema, right? You know, high you know high culture. Talk about cinema. I mentioned French film and films like The Artist. You know, that mm-hmm. was a fantastic silent film. But like that's considered super high culture versus you know a superhero movie right i love the artist right. you know i also love i love i also love superhero movies i'm a huge right. comic book head so i guess one thing i can say is as things have become cheaper over time the the divisions between high and low culture has kind of decreased mm-hmm. and as commercial products have become cheaper and more accessible to the mainstream mm-hmm. taking this stuff in what has traditionally been known as high culture cannot be taken in by anybody and with the advent of the internet and the advent of all these things, it isn't as segmented right. and as separated. For sure, and that's, blurrier. Well, that's where I was getting right, with, right. with the yes. media, you know, the mass culture. Because that's growing so big, it's kind of infringed. You know, if you can, yeah. if you think about it as like a three-circle Venn diagram, you've got the mass culture in the middle. Yes. You've got high culture and then you've got low culture on either side of it. Okay, I see what you're saying. This is a model. Here we go. <laughs> I came up with it just now. Awesome. As the mass culture bubble in the middle grows bigger, it's infringing on what is exclusively high and exclusively low. Their share of the three-circle pie is getting smaller as the one in the middle grows and takes parts of both of them inside it. Mm. Makes sense. No, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely see what you're saying. And I, I, I think I'm, I'm trying. It's like the three concentric. Pretty good see, model, huh? Yeah, I like, the, I like the model. Yeah. But my one critique but, of the model, yeah, right? Well, yeah. It's, yeah. it's purely, it's, it's, it's only, you're only talking about the culture here. 
Um, well, okay, so this would be, let's say there's a million circles that are all kind of okay. touching, and these are just three that we're focusing on for this discussion. I agree, yeah. So then, if that's the case... Sure. Well, that's my true model. Okay, that's the true but model. But that's too big to get No, into. no, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, we got two hours, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do find that I do have an agreement with that, but I do, I will also make an argument that pop culture and what has been known traditionally as low culture... There is some connection there. So, for instance, keeping up with the Kardashians is popular culture, but there's also a reality show about people who are, you know, in high culture. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very. um, I think it's between. I think the lines are more blurred between pop and you know low culture than they are between high and low. But I at least that's where I where I would probably think. I'd say that pop and high is also just equally as blurred at this point, though, because like your example of the Kardashians, like. That is a family that is high culture to the max. Sure. That is, is huge in the yeah. low culture community, you know. Well, so here we go. You talk, so you, so you it's say, like those lines are so class? blurred. Like, it also has – I think it also has a lot to do with if we're living in a more democratic society now because I think to a certain degree you're right. It's like the stuff that's more accessible. Who, who are the gatekeepers these days of what is considered high and what is considered low? And I think, I, yeah, I think in America, it's a, it's a thing that's determined by market and it's determined by capital. The media. Where I would say the media. The media. I would say, because the things, I think the market has, at least in my, in my interpretation of the market, I think the market has, um, decent, the market is a decentralizing force. I guess they're related, right? Because I'm just thinking yes, in straight music they are terms. Related, yes. Like, the media follows what the market – like if something's selling, that's what the media is going to cover in terms of like music, let's say, or something like that. Um, but not necessarily. So for instance, like a recent example is uh, take, for instance, uh, Sticks and Stones, Dave Chappelle's recent special. Yeah. That was – you know, pr- all the critics kind of gave it a pretty low rating. I think it was – I think it's sitting at like in the 30s. And then you know when they open up the audience rating, it's literally been. St- I think it's still at ninety nine. Right. And I think that's like you know that's a distinct. That's a different. It's a it's still, you, that that's an example. But of it's high getting. But I guess what I'm saying, it's still getting coverage. Like it's been in the news nonstop. It's of like course. it's well, because, because it gets it's clicks. right. That's and, what I'm saying. So it's determined. Yeah, that model. Clicks. Yeah, that model is not healthy. The the, the click mo- clickbait model and getting people to you know angry read an article or stuff like that. I don't think that's uh, good. Yeah, I think I would I would agree that 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 type of force that a lot of journalism is seeing is you know basically yellow journalism in a yeah. lot of ways. I guess also Matt, when you say that you thought like uh, low, pop culture now is also thought of as highbrow, can you give like I I do yeah. agree with that sentiment. Can you offer some examples that you're thinking of when you saying that high culture is bleeding like into stuff that's the considered ma- lowbrow that you or stuff that's considered pop culture but is also thought of as highbrow? You think? So, I mean, Shakespeare was an example that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. from the past. You could yeah. say that back when Shakespeare was a contemporary, that what it was very highbrow. It was, mm-hmm. you know, that was like the Renaissance classical. That was English was early, sure, fifteenth century, sure, yeah, sixteenth century, fifteen hundreds. You know, it was during a flourishing period of arts. Okay, so it was considered highbrow. Yeah. Whereas now it's like public education 101. You know, it's, yeah, even the idea that that was a flourishing period of arts. As if <laughs> arts weren't always existing. Yeah, and flir- and, for, and, okay, but well, for – And I'm not saying that you necessarily no, mean but that, like, but like that's English, written into ideology that that's what the Renaissance was. That was one of the flourishing periods mean, of art. So when I think of flourishing periods of art, I think – I look at it in terms of patronage. 
Not necessarily. I, I do. You I, could I, even so, just look at it in like terms of cultural reach, like I just, global, sometimes, worldwide sometimes cultural reach art, across sometimes time. Sometimes art was done for religion. Sometimes art was done for the monarch. But you know, for the government, yeah, for the government, you know. But then you know, in terms of patronage, that's I think that's the distinction. Yeah, yeah that's okay. So that's totally true, actually, and that's a fair assessment that like at that time, art within society was prioritized more than it had been in previous history. Recent, previous, recent history for that time. I also think, though, that there's another argument to be made that art is always existent and it's mm-hmm. never existing at like a higher or more level. Like a, yeah. you know what I mean? It's never existing more at one point in time than it is at another. Mm-hmm. It's just what's being viewed as like high and good art. Like at the time, like the mm-hmm. idea that the idea that the Renaissance. No, I don't think that's the idea that the true. Renaissance period was a flourishing period of art. To me, is just that like we're 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 fucking sucking our own cocks off like now 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 that art's being made and we're the ones writing about it yeah. from our own taste perspective it seems like this That's, is a flourishing yeah, it's, period it's very it's very masturbatory yeah, i agree 100 percent. but i also i also would put you know a distinction uh and you can get into this matt i also put a distinction on technology mm. so like uh first paintings cave paintings seventy thousand, eighty thousand years ago in france i believe or wherever they found the paintings i don't know that's like the there i'm sure there's even older that older than that coming they're going to find it sooner or later i would make an argument as human beings were able to not worry about you know the saber-toothed tiger coming at me yeah. and were able to look at the stars and look at the sky and look at nature and then observe nature so like for me like just as language is is distinctly human i would also say so is art in a way, yeah, and it, that every human society has like imagined and recreated its world in the stories and music, right. primarily. I also think like this question's predicated on how we're defining art. So like, yeah, it's easy to say arts at a flourishing period when you're determining what art means. You know what I mean? Like, I like I see. And the thing is, like, flourishing. I the thing is, I'm I'm I was my my kind of distinction of flourishing was basically put in, in terms of you know patronage versus stuff done for. A particular so getting into the patronage aspect of it if if we're trying to come to an agreement on let's say like the origins of you know what was the first art that humans would do would cave paintings be a decent sort of example mm, it's be- it's it's so, just one that's got ideology inscripted in it because now there's people who say like cooking so, okay, a meal is right, art practice for something to exist a, as art right. for something to exist as art that implies that humanity as a whole has a preconceived notion of what art is. They've come to yes. a conclusion, oh, this is what art is. This is what we're going to call art. So maybe for cave paintings, for example, when the early humans were making the cave paintings, they didn't consider it art. art. They it considered it a form yeah. of language, of storytelling, right. of you know manipulating their environment to create culture type of and a thing. And it's slippery though because like storytelling is – like, So, you know, yeah, so yeah. who's to say whether or not they did – maybe they did consider it art and they like an artist was like the good cave painter was well, like that was the guy who made it. True. But who's to say that like maybe before they learned how to make pigments for cave painting, they were carving tools. So who's to say that they didn't – Well, what matters – Is what matters that here, art? Like well, is a good craftsman on an arrowhead, is that art? It right. depends on the – Well, it depends on the intention so of the person making the art. Not, no, I disagree. it doesn't. It depends, I think it, I think it depends it on the intention. intention. So like for instance, if I make something today that is solely functional and someone finds it and it's like, oh, there's an artistic quality to this. Yeah. 
it's 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 it was just used to carve it's deer. Very, I think it's socially determined. I think okay. just so, like I mean that's classic po- like post structuralism. Yes, like yes, death yes. of the author. Like you don't get to determine how things are read by other people. True. I agree that there's unlimited that there's, interpretations, but some interpretations are more equal than others. Sure, but I guess I guess what I'm saying is that like in my mind. Art is determined either – yeah, sure. If you want to view something as art, you're viewing it as art, so it's art. Yes. If I want to view something as art, I'm viewing it as art, so it's art. Like, yeah, it's there just, should be unlimited interpretations. It's, like, it's fine. Like art isn't something that's written into the actual object. It doesn't exist within it. It's just a, a way of viewing something. It's You can see the art in something yeah. if you choose you can to see, see it. You like can that. choose to see beauty. The arrow, yeah, but the, so the sure. arrowhead example. Like, sure. You could see it as just a tool that who, they made hundreds of them. doesn't matter at all. You could see it as art in that. You can appreciate the craftsmanship, right. of course. Yeah, and I think like wow, what a pointy, nice looking arrow. Of course, the thing is, like, I think appreciation of craftsmanship in some of those more utility is different than appreciation. It's funny of, that you use the word craftsmanship too, because there's a huge political history to the division between the idea of the arts and crafts and how that's written on gender lines and how it's written on class lines of like, are you a craftsperson or are you an artist? And like, I mean, it, there's just a long hit of like. Painting is real art, but knitting or like sewing wool, like anything like that, that's – oh, that's like cra- – that's a craft. Like, See, I don't look at it that way. I look at like – so in terms of somebody creating something solely for function mm-hmm. versus some, th- something somebody's creating for either function and or I, I'm just aesthetics. use of art. I'm just, aesthetics, exactly. I'm just pointing out it's interesting that you chose crafts, crafts as, the as, first as sort of uh, – <laughs> as sort of – A distinction? A distinction from art. Well – it can be see the thing is like you can it see the thing is like is like to me something that is art can be can have utility mm-hmm. that's outside you know tangible utility mm-hmm. versus you know what we get from the art you yeah. know, by taking in ourselves yeah so I think that is possible but I don't think it's always possible. how do you feel about Duchamp like the toilet do you consider that art that he took up a, a pre-made urinal put it in a gallery and said this is art so personally I wouldn't look at it as art I would look at it as like you're facilitating I mean I could see how people would I mean I totally understand not even that it's how, bad art you saying it's not art though you don't well, see it as art I don't I don't appreciate it let's put it that okay, way okay okay I don't yeah. appreciate it personally how about you did you how do you feel about Duchamp I feel like I've asked this before we've gotten into it but the, the urinal the toilet the, guy toilet toilet it's, man it's so, um, it's is it is it bad art is it not art is it good art it's definitely art it is art to you but I don't love it okay do you okay. now do you consider that something that people people who you know, take in low culture, culture, cultured art or whatever and high cultured art. Do you think which, which, which group? I think that would, would definitely be, lean more towards high. I would because it's, so it's, funny it's how, very like artsy art, right? right? Like and it's, it's so funny. It's more though, about the. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's so funny because when it started at the time, that was lowbrow. That yeah, was like, right. it was like I put a fucking urinal in yeah, the gallery. Right. I'm anti-academy. And yes, so it just but goes then back it's to, more about like the conversations had about it within the art community yes, than the actual physical toilet in a stand. Yeah. On display. And the thing is like, I guess a lot of a lot of the way you know this is I guess broken down in terms of, of high and low. One thing that I think is interesting and kind of you know different uh, is so I'm trying to think of this in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. And the way a lot of the movies are being put out, there is a distinction. I you can there is a distinction between I could say movies that are. Targeted toward a certain audience, 
So, for instance, the Avengers, uh, the Batman, all this versus a- like action avant garde, like silent black and white film. Exactly. Sort of and the thing is, like, people who are making those things also realize that too. They know like they're not going to get, you know, Avengers numbers in terms of sales. Like the and the people who are backing the movie, the producers also know that too. So like these, you know, these particular people are engaging in, and they understand also that they're engaging in something that a small percent of the population is going to enjoy. Now that being said, you know, a producer can go ahead and you know do an Avengers film and make you know trillions of dollars, or whatever they make these days. But at the end of the day. There is a, there is a, I think that is, that's a clear distinction where that still kind of exists. And like the people, there is, I, I guarantee you the, there is audience overlap. I'm not denying that. But I do think that when it comes down to the designing and making of films, I guess films in particular, that's my example I'm picking. You can, you can see how the target audience is for a high and low, it's based on high and low culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where it still can reside. Is in you know in market demographic uh, I guess marketing de- demographics like who are you marketing to, and I guess you know people who would be more interested in a silent film would most likely also be people that have higher education. You could make that argument. There's a lot of arguments you can make there, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the it's the average. It's not the you know sum of the audience. You're, you're taking the average of the audience, and you know just because. You know, you might get a lot of people who have studied this stuff in terms of in school and, you know, in art school and all this stuff who would, you know, predominantly be one of the target audiences. You know, people that have been to art school would be, you know, send them information about this, advertise this to them versus advertising another thing. So I kind of see like the market is facilitating a lot of people to get art that they want. But I, I do also would make the argument that the market also does primarily push the art that sells, right? The popular art. The comic books. And, you know, me as someone who kind of grew up with comic books, you know, I read them as a young kid, um, heavily influenced by them a lot. You know, there was a time where people used to shit on you for reading comic books at school. And, you know, and then that mass culture started growing and they adopted comic books as part of the mainstream pop culture. And the thing is, like, I guess now comic books aren't seen as exclusively low culture. They're seen as more mainstream. Well, the thing is, like, I just that which brings them closer to high. Yeah. So so for instance, I also but I also consider comics can be put into a high culture sense. So, for instance, um, I just bought a book called Uncle Sam by uh, I was at the comic store yesterday. Uh, it's, it's drawn by uh, Alex Ross, who's one of my favorite, you know, illustrators. Uh, he's done books like Kingdom Come, and you know, he did the Avengers and all this other, you know, other great stuff. And the story, the way the story is told, is actually um, a really interesting and great take. Most comic book readers will not like it. Most comic book readers, it's very, you know, highbrow. It's a very highbrow comic. It's talking about. It's basically the premise is Uncle Sam wakes up in America and doesn't really know who he is and doesn't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a greater cultural discussion about what really is going on in America. And that's inherently political, cultural, philosophical. But most comic book readers just want to have a good time and view something that doesn't have any of those connections. Right. Or if those connections are there, it's not the main point. It's an aspect. It's not It's a. It's not a bug. It's a feature. And I think but- – 
Go ahead. Uh, you, well, you could say that comics are highbrow because, like, you can get really, really into the philosophy and the morality behind what the actions of the people in the comics. True. Well, yeah, Where, of course. You know, you the, could take a more academic approach yeah, to analyzing it. Of course. It. Yeah. Like, take, for instance, The Watchmen. Uh, Alan Moore is one of my favorite writers of all time. And, you know, The Watchmen uh, is basically deconstructionist view of, uh, of superheroes. Yeah. Uh, but in a sense, there's so many different ways that people have interpreted that, you know, particular piece of art where some people don't even get any of that from their interpretation. So I guess in, in the thing is like it also that was one of the pieces of art that kind of drew the line between high and you know high culture and lowbrow you know, traditional right. comic books where but, it still featured so, so, characters. So like back in the day when comic <laughs> books were more lowbrow yeah. versus now when they're more part of the mass mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. The the analyzing of all the like the psychological profile of Batman, for instance, yes. was back in the day when Batman was first coming out. It's like it was there, but it wasn't as big of a thing, right? It like was not, it was not important. Whereas now, now that high culture and low culture have been able to mix, okay, in the middle in that mass culture, yeah, you've got all this like crazy highbrow. You know, like analyzing the new, the new Joker film, analyzing yeah, of exactly. all this low culture stuff that didn't used to exist. Do y'all think it's good that there's a division between high and low culture? I don't. Th- I mean, I don't think it's good or I don't bad think it's that good, there's yeah. a division. I think there's it's. No moral. I think even I don't know if it's good or bad whether they're coming together and those lines are getting blurred. It's like it's affecting society for sure because it's the culture. But is it good or is it bad? Is it a natural reaction of what happens as civilizations, you know, rise and decline? Because as you could probably get into like the rise and fall of the Roman Empire and the media that they were showing, how their classes Weird move mixed. for you to go historical, very off-brand. <laughs> <laughs> and like looking at that and looking at the type of media that Western culture is putting out now, um, it's an interesting topic for sure. I'm not sure whether it's good or bad. I right now would probably just take the pr- approach of saying that it's the way that it is and whether it's good or bad um, will is yet to be determined. Okay. Um, so do you think it's good or bad? <laughs> or I think, either or. Like, I, mean, I don't think there is. Uh, so the distinction isn't necessarily – I guess it, it obviously depends on how people view it personally. I don't see it uh, – I don't see the distinction as a good or bad. I see it just as uh, something that a certain demographic will find more enjoyable. And I think that, you know, being able to have distinctions in terms of what you find enjoyable, I think being able to, you know, classify those distinctions, I don't think classifying it is, is, is bad. But I think once you start classifying it and then you use that to affect public policy, or you use that to affect actual, you know, affect people's lives. Actually, then it, I have a problem with it. But if it's just like, oh, I don't like French cinema because I think it's highbrow, and you know, I think some people can say that and not mean it in a negative way. And the same thing, I think people can say, I don't like superhero movies because mm-hmm. it's this mass uh, popular culture. They're just stamping these I mean, things out. I guess another thing, not to keep making it political. No, please. Because I think it's good. Because I, gotcha. I do think it matters and I do think there's a no, good or bad do. to yes, it. No, please do. Yes, yes. It's like another way to look at it would be censorship. Like there's an idea that like seeing some titties in a movie. Yes. That's lowbrow. But if I go to the music, like and where I'm saying that there's an idea, I mean explicitly in terms of how education is funded. Like mm. you can go out, of, you can take kids on a field trip to mm-hmm. go see Venus de Milo 
and see her titties because mm-hmm. they're in stone and that's high art. That's a statue that's been made. It's written into a certain history. Yes. And that's considered elevated. But if you take kids to go see Michael Bay movie where – I don't know if he has a movie where some titties are flashing. I'm sure. But if you go take them to see that, that's considered whack and like that would be – like I mean there's – just in terms of how education funding even works and how like the National Endowment of the Arts well, – I, that has more to do with like it being a social taboo than being like it's a it's a it's a it's a I guess a puritanical. But why is it a social taboo when it's in a certain film, a certain art form, but not a social taboo when it's in another art form? Because of the way all of the context behind both of the forms of art. When you think Megan Fox in a Michael Bay movie, bearing Bro, all, believe me, I wish those titties were out, there. <laughs> <laughs> but they are not in any of the three Transformers she's in. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But uh, I, like that is a much different presentation with a lot of much different connotations. You know, if you take a bunch of like grade schoolers to go see that movie. Parent, sure. What about you know? Like they're gonna they're gonna draw different. Conclusions. What about I take them to the? Yeah. They're gonna draw different conclusions from seeing that represented in a movie. Okay. Than taking them to a museum in the context of a museum, you know, it's a lot easier to explain. Like, oh, this is why it's like this. It was, you know, like back in the day they were first sculpting and the body was an important focus for So them. let's say we go to one where it's Whereas, let's what about okay like a painting like Olympia by oh, it's either Manet or Monet and I don't know which one um but where it's the 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 nude woman is clearly written to be a sexualized context it's a painting mm-hmm. of a prostitute and that it was a really big deal at the time when it came out and it was mm-hmm. like oh my god this is pornography yeah and Vulgar. monet let's say it's monet monet raised the argument well why is it okay when titian displays venus nude but not this now that i've actually shown a real prostitute the human form which titian's venus was based on anyways mm-hmm. he had to have a model he painted off of who was yeah. human venus doesn't even fucking exist <laughs> so why is that why is that okay so my argument I'm making to you would be then though like I still feel like it'd be okay if I took students to the DIA and I could still get funding from the school to take them to see that painting because painting is considered a high art. And the fact that it's in a museum, it's been legitimized as high art. Whereas if I go take you to see a movie, even where breasts are shown not in a sexual context, yeah. it's still going to be like you can't take kids to go see an R-rated movie. Yeah, I agree that the, there's when it comes to censorship – and it comes to that, that, that that's, cen- it has to be based on individual preferences. That's right. I guess I'm saying censorship is an interesting point where you see that taste and morality collide and are connected. So, like if, yeah. you had, if you had a class of exactly. 20 kids be, yeah. and you got permission from the parents to go take them to that Megan Fox movie. Yeah, I think that's fine. Then it would be OK. It's just, it's based on the individual preferences of the parents Dude, at this point. I'm even point. saying though like literally the, the, that – it's been written to law that like if there are breasts shown in a movie, it's going to be at a certain rating that certain kids aren't allowed to go see. But yeah, the same thing doesn't purely, exist for go seeing naked paintings. Yeah, it's it's purely it's purely reactionary. Yeah, I'm, so I think we're agreed then. Right? Yeah, I think okay. uh, yeah, I think we're that's all... purely reactionary because you know I I I I totally think that you know a lot of the stuff like that has uh, you know that reactionary approach to solving these issues. Yeah, that's just how our society decided yeah, to, deal to deal with, with the it. problem of nudity in media. Yeah, like most like most you know, fake you s- moral panics, they usually go the reactionary route. Right. So we're <laughs> you know? so we, but so my argument then that it sounds like you guys agree with me though that 
So it's odd that they that choose one be, art form to police, but not that another. That would be sure. like politicians yeah. describing value to separate of forms course. of art. Yes. Of course, yeah. That, I, that, I do that, think that that's, that's stupid. That yes. these hierarchies, and where I'm going back to it, this is highbrow yeah. and lowbrow, that hierarchies exist within art, that it yeah. does matter. That's huge. And that it is that there is certainly either something good or something bad about drawing that distinction. See, but I, 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 think I, find, I find a lot so of agreement there I because think I do whether, think the hierarchy thing is the main – is the main thing here. There Whether is a society hierarchy. thinks it's good or bad is relative to the current state of the society. Like mm-hmm. back in the – maybe this isn't true, but maybe like at a different time period, more or less was accepted than it is now. So that would change you know, the whole society's interpretation of what's I, taboo I, and what's I disagree. Not. I disagree. 100 percent disagree there. It has nothing to do with society. It has to do with the elites pushing a certain narrative on the society. So, for instance, take um, on the society. So it's still a hundred percent dealing with the society. No, 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 no. but but the, 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 see, the thing is, like, okay, so look, throughout history, the world is being moved by people in the margins, right? It's not being moved by the masses. I disagree. Okay, I hundred percent with that. Okay, well, <laughs> I love this. show. Well, hold on, <laughs> I love this show. Take take so take take this country for instance. It wasn't the masses. That that started all this. It was it was actually a small group of elites. The masses came in when, once it became you know politically you know convenient. I mean the, mm, to, the to elites the elites were governing over the masses who were there. There were masses. See, but there. It feels but, 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 like a chicken egg. Well, see, there's a lot there. But what I'm what I'm saying is with within the ma- you know quote unquote the masses, at least the way I kind of look at it, there is when things shift, it's shifting be- primarily because of. A group of elites in one way or the other. What I mean by elite, okay, sure, but the academics, elites, intelligentsia, you use primarily. The, you use the context of like the colonies in that context. Well, the yeah, the sure, the America, early the America. Yeah. The elites were representing the masses. It is a representation of the masses. Still, well, it's connected like that. You can't. Well, at that time, it wasn't fully there there yet. The representation was not. The Articles of Confederation were more separated it was, than, than it was it there. It just wasn't fully as fleshed out I love how as, political it, as it is now. This has gotten. Well, yeah, because I think you know you have to you have to take that into consideration, right? You know, taste, I, taste I, does feel pretty political. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's oh, a, there's there's I'm, I'm not denying that the political is a relevant and you know an important concept, but but I you know when it, when it comes to when I say the when I, when I say elites, what do I really mean by that? So, for instance, take. Russia's case. Russia's case, you know, the czar was there and then, you know, Lenin, you know, he created the idea of the vanguard party. The vanguard party was supposed to commute to the proletariat because no one really knows what the proletariat wants except the vanguard party. So the vanguard party was the radical intelligentsia that okay. would get the so, people. To, so, so it, it became so the, one group the elites, to the next. Well, the elite – And, and there's more historical context they can bring. The elites or the, you know, the ruling higher up classes, yes. they've been the ones in charge of the information that gets disseminated Correct. down to the masses. And they get to choose the information. Oh, but it's the masses who ultimately make the decision of which way the mass wants to go with it. They're well, presented with they're presented with whichever sides, you know, there's the elites telling them this and then there's the counter elites telling them that. Sure. And the masses, not the elites in the margins, the masses are the ones who ultimately decide where they want to take the society so as he- a whole. So here here's my so um, one of my uh, influences, uh, Ayn Rand, she has uh, this concept called Something. Suck it up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I think, transitive metaphysics or something of that, something of that 
I forgot exactly the term, but basically her idea was that most people get their reality from other people. They don't they don't, you know, objectively, you know, take in the world and then, you know, using, you know, reason and using X, Y, and Z to actually have an assumption of the world. Most people just get their ideas from other people and just take that in and just never think. So what I was trying to say with with that, and I'm, I'm getting to the idea of the circulation of elites here, because I do think that has a that is what high what high culture is. High culture is you know the continuation of the circulation of elites, and when we get into that, so what I'm saying is the intelligentsia, the elites, however you want to look at it, present a narrative towards the masses. So the masses then go ahead and then act on that narrative. But there's multiple narratives being presented yeah, and, and the, the masses and the, are the I'm ones not, who not decide saying, which not, narrative to exactly. follow. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying the elites all agree. There's tremendous disagreement between, the, between intelligentsia and academia for sure. But what I, what I am saying is that there's more – Hillary Clinton has more in common with George W. Bush than she has with a, with a, with a uh, janitor who's been working at GM and who votes Democrat his whole life. And I think – the reason that is is because it's a certain type of sure. there's, there, there's a political class but, aspect. Oh, so there. the Trumps and Clintons are friends. They're the yeah. elites. You're saying that they would have the people in the margins. Those few elites yeah. have more of an influence on the direction of the country than the masses who are supporting these elites. And that's where I say when, when Marx when Marx was going around talking to the labor unions to overthrow the state, they're all like, we want we want, you know, better things. We want, you know, more food for our family. We don't want to overthrow the state. <laughs> Most people didn't want that. And, you know, he was really disillusioned by a lot of that with his letters with with Engels that, you know, the masses weren't trying to get this done. That's why Lenin, you know, created the, you know, in a lot of people's you know interpretation, you know Chomsky's interpretation is right wing deviation to create a vanguard party. Therefore, you know, boom, there is a, you, all of a sudden there you know for something that has been so anti hierarchy, you then create a hierarchy to speak to the masses, to commune to the masses. It becomes very religious in a way, but essentially, people on the mar- people in the margins, the small aspects of society, do have influence on what's deemed acceptable, permissible. So like I said, I mentioned the – take for instance the Dave Chappelle. Most people were writing – most people were writing articles, don't even, don't even watch it. That was like a lot of the articles being written about it. And that was being delivered by people who were academics, you know, who are you know, academically inclined, let's put it that way, who look at this stuff in an academic way versus looking at it just like purely by having a good time. And I think that's the differential that I have between that you know, there is elites out there in every type of aspect of the world. People primarily who rely or stay within the academic tradition and then because it goes from academia, right, to then the media and then to the government. I, mean, I agree that it's all connected. I just don't yeah. think that I think that's, you know, the social mood of the masses rises and falls, ebbs and flows. Yes, I agree. Outside of whatever's influencing it at the time. And so, like, yeah, you can have a small group of people who influence society one way or the other yeah however strongly or however weakly but ultimately it's the masses it's not it's no one little tiny group of people has control over how I agree. seven billion of us think. I, I i i'm not saying that i'm just saying that they have control i'm not not even remotely influence they, but not control they, they have ever, so there's everybody gets influences from everywhere 
But people who are deemed an elite in you know in a category, whether it's somebody who is a professor or somebody who's uh, whatever, you could then say that the, their voice is looked at in a certain way with more regard than others. Yeah, I mean, and like, put on granted, a pedestal. somebody exactly. I agree. Granted, somebody on Reddit might be right, <laughs> and you know, and the, and the and the person who's an academic is wrong. Sure. I'm not talking about what's right and what's wrong necessarily in terms of factual. I'm just talking about like how people have influence and how that shapes and moves a society towards a certain thing. And it's mostly people who are – who traditionally are engaging in so high culture. Now, uh, that are you could also make it. the – like look at Trump for example. You would say that – you could say – this. I could see this going either way where you could say – he is the one who is influencing the masses to, you know, show more. Well, what did he do in 2016? Hold on. Go ahead. He's the one. You made me lose my train of thought now. Uh, <laughs> He's the one. <clears throat> looking at like He's Trump. And it's either you could either look at it as he's the one doing the influencing. He's one of those elites that mm-hmm. is like putting stuff out there that's doing the influencing. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at it as he's a manifestation of the current social mood of the country, the masses as a whole. The only reason he's president is because enough people felt that they should vote for him to be president. Not, the social not, mood of the country. It's not, it's not just that though. He tapped into low culture. Okay, sure. That's but what I think people outside are, not, of, are, not, are not getting into. He is the reality TV show president. He tapped like, into he, high like, he tapped into high culture also. In a way, but I would not say exclusively. More academics and more academics, more high high were, culture were would totally be like again. all the economist type people, all you know, all the people who care and know a lot about the economy. Not the economist, were, not the economist I talk. I know oh, about. No, a lot of people were convinced that he was the right way to go. Though is my point. I guess he convinced people both from high classes and low classes to vote for him. You can't become president unless you get the major. I get well. I, let's get technical because <laughs> he didn't, but. Yeah, let's get you know, he knew he gamed the system in that way. But. True, I agree. But the thing is, like, I think him it, tapping into low culture, you know, offered him, you know, access to uh, like him. right. He was right place, right time. I agree. But I think that you know, like, if there was somebody else who filled the position that the country needed, they would have just voted for him instead. Yeah, or but, them but instead. you notice, but you notice his his whole framework, the MAGA uh, bullshit. Let's put it that way. Um, it it is a it's a nationalistic thing, right? But you know, nationalism is a very high high culture, culture. exactly. So what what is he what is he doing? He's he, he's tapping into low culture by telling and giving them some high culture. Well, not that, but like convincing people that you can be me one day. You know, you know, because you know <laughs> that's 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 what it is. Like he's everybody out there who's just uh, in a lot of ways look at Trump and like, oh yeah, he's like a guy I know. And they see him doing that. That's they have. They think, oh, well, if he can do it, shit, you know, maybe I can. Yeah, and, and think that's what that's what he tapped into because he seemed like a. I wouldn't say the average American, but he seemed. I mean, he seemed like an American who people had some kind of connection to in, in terms of that. Trying to move past Trump. Please. My only point with bringing I get out of here. only point with bringing him up was that it. It's hard to say whether or not these elites are doing the influencing or whether they're a manifestation of the current social mood of the masses. No. And because yeah, the, who the elite is on an individual level 
is kind of irrelevant because there would all, there would be somebody else there. It's like their True. name doesn't really matter. They're only in power because people elected them to be in power. I'm not only talking because about power people elections. felt because people felt that they were the best representation of how they See, the thing operate is like, po- politically. For sure. What I'm saying is it's not just the political aspect. It's the people in philosophy departments. It's the people in like these foreign policy think tanks who are deciding, you know, that we should be going to endless wars. It's 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 these people who are who have been actively actively influencing our politics because it's coming from a philosophical well, and, background. And I mean, sure they influence the politics, but at the same time like the the avenues are there for us to get rid of them and vote them out if we want. Like, well, no, no, there is there is there is no avenue to get somebody fired from a private institution. Okay, but you that's can, what I'm saying. You can you can induce legislate. You can start legislation saying that like, oh, uh, we want here, to here, give here the comes, government this comes, power. Here comes so a rea- that, here comes the reactionary results. Check exactly. Okay, <laughs> but those exist. You know what I'm saying? Well, like that is a valid way to deal with certain things. Well, see, I think it comes down to these groups having as much influence as they do on public policy. What I mean is that these people in academia who have been called into the White House to, you know, whatever, they have been pushing so for instance they they might disagree minorly. Look at climate science. No, but, well, the state of climate don't, science is to, a perfect we, we example. Do not, we do not even have to get even close to that topic. <laughs> but what I mean by foreign let's take foreign policy because that's don't something take climate science. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that cuz like, I don't know <laughs> I don't know it, I don't know it as well. But take foreign policy. Almost all of the academics coming out of the foreign policy institutes have pushed us to no matter what administration have pushed us towards a particular type of American empire thing. It's not. A, it's not. A, I don't think it's a. It's not a. It's not a bug. Okay, it's a feature of the system. So you have when you're talking about this, you have to look at the numbers of how many people are these people in academic institutions. How many people are they reaching? How much does it influence the you, masses? I mean, because the people that they're reaching are people who are going to college for this see, type of stuff. The masses don't matter in this case because they just – Yeah, they because, do. Well, no, because in some cases they They always do. do. They can't not. I agree. But in many cases, these people go into power or they get close to power, influence the power, right, to make a decision about foreign policy or whatever. And then from there, the people don't get to vote whether we go and bomb Iraq. The people don't no, get to vote but- on any of that. If the president goes and bombs Iraq and the people don't like it, they won't vote for him again. It's that simple. Yeah, but the thing is like four years later, damage done, you know, X amount, 100,000 people dead. Sure, it's con- it's it's a it's it's not a fast solution. And the thing is like they don't necessarily need to care about it. That's what, that's my point is like these people on the margins have influenced society mostly through, you know, governmental institutions. I would make that argument. I don't know. Danny, what do you think about all this mess? I think <laughs> you guys got locked into a sense of like feeling like you were on different sides, but kind of. No, we kind of agree. I think you guys, I think it's just a push and pull, right? Like I think like the the elites affect the masses and the masses affect the elites. And, yeah, I would, I would agree. And it's not like as black and white as maybe. I'm making that. that no, be. both of you guys just on the basis of something turning into a debate. For sure. Well, I, I guess like what the, the point I was trying to make is that. Yeah, the the masses have influence. Like the Vietnam War was one of those situations where you know generals were talking about nuking you know the coastline of China. Yeah, you know, and they were like they were they were telling you know the president at the time this is a great idea we should definitely do this. Uh, and then you know obviously the masses coming out in you know drives. But the thing is like 
the masses got their ideas from, you know, radical figures in intelligentsia that made those points. I'm saying not always. Well, in, in the case of the in the case of a lot of cases in the 60s, that's the case. Not always. I'm not saying it's exclu- you know it's always the case. I'm saying it's mostly the case. I don't even know that I'd go that far. Okay, well that's fair. Yeah, I mean that's totally fair. Sometimes I just think like I I would say yeah you can say sometimes I would say mostly, and that's like I think that's a distinction here is like elites on both sides whether it's you know for peace whether it's for war whether it's for this whether it's for that whether it's for a particular type of cultural norms through censorship, whether it's through allowing artists to have free expression out there. Also in, in funding, I think all those things are being – all those groups who look at that in that way are being influenced by the intelligentsia in that in that part of it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and I think like those people, whether their intentions are good or bad or their consequences of their actions are good and bad, they exist out there. And they influence the country and they influence individuals. I think it's important to say like, okay, that's good. I'm happy that there's, you know, edu- you know, educators and people out there that are, you know, thinking about these types of stuff. But at the same time, I think there needs to be more of a balance between a lot of the stuff coming out. So like in the 60s was an example of a lot of balance or more so of balance. Ideas that were against the traditional uh, norms in the society. So, for instance, treating you know people of I, color negatively. And I horribly. think the sixty. Well, okay, in that sense, but you know what I mean. And also, yeah. as well as with the, the anti-war movement being kind of birthed in, the, in that during that time. So, but I even I would say that that's more about like taking the status quo and shifting the balance more than like keeping it balanced. The sixties was a time of a lot of change and upheaval. For, in I would agree, but the thing is, when I, when I say balance, I mean there's the status quo going on, but there's nothing in in, and, in, in, in relation uh, to it. As far as the anti-war movement is concerned, and like the hippie movement is concerned, I don't think that was disseminated from an intelligentsia community. I think that was very grassroots and organic. That people just started hippie movement. People yeah. just started changing the way that they thought, and it wasn't because of some True. outside force telling them how to think. That well, was the telling, whole point say, of it. See, it's not telling them. It's not telling them, them how to think, them. but telling them how to live even you know this well, is society yeah. this is the way society is structured this it's for your own benefit not always trust i'm saying that was just the message that was the status quo yes, at the time I agree. like I you agree. know i agree they yes. had just been in the 50s where everything was going great so they had no reason to question the status quo but in the 60s like you mentioned the rate some stuff started happening yes that started getting people thinking yes that opened them up to the change in their mindset Yes. Which was kind of outside of any sort of intelligentsia or highbrow, you know, it wasn't – that's not where that shift in social mood came from. It didn't originate from a higher up source and disseminate down. It arose organically from the bottom and spread that way. In some aspects of the movements during the 60s, yes. Other aspects, not so much. I would I would tend to – there was – but no matter no matter what – Such as – so no matter what side, Aspects. so for I mean, instance, also too, no matter what side was going, what was going down during the '60s, you always had people in intelligentsia. Noam Chomsky was always there during any anti-war anything, talking about the costs and benefits of what's going on, always, and the moral implications of it. I mean, th- whether or not they're actively the hippies talking, didn't care about what Noam Chomsky. No, was No, but they listened. But they listened. They actually listened, and they actually took in what he had to say. I mean, the whole okay, basis but, of the you, new left. You could argue that Noam Chomsky's writing was a reactionary. No, you I, know, go re- I would yeah. never, never put reactionary to the Chomsky. movement. 
Well, no, I mean, I would say wouldn't it was have a, written about it if the movement hadn't started first and happened. Well, I would say it, 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 his 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 whole starting of writing political was an American. Ameri- it's called American Power and the New Mandarins. That's the name of the book. Uh, there's a bunch of essays on you know our things done in the past, but primarily what was going on in Vietnam. And you know, from from a lot of the stuff there, yeah, it was it was responding to a lot of you know protests and everything, but it was also primarily responding to what people you know who were in power were you know doing, and you know it was he was critiquing it on a level so that it could be passed throughout the world. And, you know, that's why Chomsky is one of the most read people around the world, is because you know regardless of what people think about him, um, and he's one of the people I admire. He he was able to put out the intellectual argument that could des- that would destroy you know Amer- American imperialism. And I think you know if you don't have the intellectual argument backing you, you can't fight it fight it as well. You can have the grassroots, but there needs to at one point or another be some type of intellectual discourse or discussion on how to move this forward and make something you know how to actually implement change. So I I, I think that. Yes, there is a lot of grassroots things going on throughout the world. It's not just top-down approach. I would say it's a it's a collaborative approach because you know these people talk to people in the movement. These people discuss ideas with people in the movement, and then they get people to they either they come around or they or they help bring people around in other ways. And they're the main some of the main people out there speaking about this stuff to influence people on TV. Like so, Chomsky is interviewed on TV at that time, but. The average anti-war activist wasn't, and that is also an example of that. I guess you know, if, you know how the intelligentsia is putting out their ideas and their narratives out there about what's going on, and that it's then influenced by the masses through TV, through radio shows, through writing. I think that's how it's done more so than this howdy tatty I'm you know, mustache twirling thing that a lot of people think, and it becomes for a lot of people it becomes conspiratorial. It's not conspiratorial in any way. It's just people who are influential influence. Yes, but at the same time, the masses are the ones who give them the platform. Like they won't be on TV if people don't watch it. Exactly. Well, the thing is that people respond to the truth that the person is giving out. Or the lie. Sure. That that could be the case in some cases. People respond to all types of stuff. I guess guess to kind of close the show (laughs) around some of the topics and things we've been talking about today – I just my last thoughts, and you guys, please go ahead. I, I've been talking much more than I should. Um, I I do think that when discussing culture, it is important to understand that there is a connection to the political. There is a connection to, in my opinion, the psychological and the philosophical, and that you know they all they all have an influence on one thing or another, and at the end of the day. Understanding it, I guess, or putting, you know, making it more understandable is probably best rather than just kind of leaving it in your mind and leaving it out there and having it be ambiguous. I think, you know, discussions like this today can help people look at one thing that they have been looking a certain way and kind of open their mind to a new approach or a new way of looking at it. I mean, a lot of what you guys said today has got me thinking and got me, I guess, questioning some of the assumptions I have. But one way of looking at it is, whether it's something considered high or low culture, art and one's appreciation of art is subjective based on their, you know, what they like and what they don't like. So, and the thing is, people can enjoy 
comic books and also enjoy the opera and or whatever that has been deemed by academics or society as high and low culture. People can enjoy both of those things. And I guess my essential argument is as the price of these things has become cheaper, as technology has gotten better, consumption of what was deemed only available to a certain group of elites, a certain class of people can now be consumed by any class of person anywhere around the world at any time through the power of the internet. The show is being delivered through the power of the internet. So there's a lot of things that have been created through the creative forces throughout the world, through innovation, through market forces that, at least in my opinion, that have allowed the blurring of the lines to be, I guess, more, I guess, more important than anything else. And I guess the way we talk, we, we talked at the beginning about how this distinction has become mostly political these days. I do think that is the case. But I'll also make the argument that within each subgroup of, or political subgroup or there is going to be people who are on one spectrum or the other spectrum. And I think that's the thing about humanity is no matter what you your tastes are, you you can absorb this information, absorb the art and not have to feel a certain way about it. I don't want people to think that whether you like – whether it's something people – criticize you for liking classical music and then everybody's saying, oh, you listen to this, you know, that old stuff is old crap. Yeah, right? And that that happens to a lot of people and then it'll like push them away. So I want people to understand like what is traditionally seemed high or low culture, those things are permissible because art is subjective and what you like is what you like. And at the end of the day, that's what matters, the individual's choice on what they consume. Uh, Danny, what are your last thoughts on all this jazz? I don't know. We got into some heavy stuff. We did. We did. It got um, heavy for a, for a few minutes. A good I 35. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, can Matt go? And yeah, Matt, please. Some more time to... Closing thoughts. <clears throat> um, I, I agree. I agree with basically all of what you said. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, my main focus would definitely be the growing of that middle ground. Yes. You know, how stuff that is high, that was exclusively high and stuff that was exclusively low because of the globalization of the world yes. is now more accessible to everybody. Yes. Um, at the start of this show, I said I wasn't sure if it was good or bad. Yeah. By the end, I'm leaning more towards it being a good thing that people can be more exposed to more. Just because that's how you grow. They have the a, ability to go to what they want. As, that's to. how humanity grows is yeah. being exposed to more, digesting more, coming yeah. to more conclusions, yeah. updating your old conclusions. Yes, yes. And being exposed to both high and low in new ways that weren't possible yes. before is a really important way to continue the evolution of humanity. Yes, yes. Okay, I guess I my closing statement would be that I think it's bad that high and low are separated mm-hmm. and that – it's a reflection of some person thinking that their culture is better than another person's mm-hmm. culture. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's whack. For sure, for sure. Well, just to end it, I want to thank everybody for listening. And I guess we'll spend the last couple of minutes talking about additional topics we're going to be having for the next few shows. So we're do, definitely going to be having a, an, another discussion on foreign policy. There's going to be another discussion on epistemology coming up and I, I also want to facilitate a discussion on film and why film is the pinnacle of art because it encompasses all forms. Whoa. 
Yeah. So there is, there's a, <laughs> it's not mine. It's not my idea. It's, uh, awkward Herbert's idea. She came up with it and she was really, uh, you know, all jazzed about it. So we're going to be bringing those to you soon. Like I said, the website's back up, backing up and running. New blog posts and new podcasts will be posted there as well as everywhere else. Traditionally, um, it's www.conversationsandmeditations.com. And one last thing on the topic before I end it. I uh, well, before that, thank you guys for coming on today. I really for appreciate sure. it. Had a blast. Yeah, as always, you guys always provide so much value and so much insight on a lot of these, you know, really you know difficult and tough topics. Makes it makes it easier for me to kind of you know see things in in, in all light. But like I said, in my statement: art is to be enjoyed. And regardless of where it comes from or where traditionally it might be placed in terms of a class distinction or in terms of a monetary distinction, art should be universal and enjoyment of one's time with art should be not judged at all. So it's a judge-free atmosphere here and I want everybody to know that, like I said earlier, people making statements about you're a nerd if you like this or – you're, that's like so basic that you like that. Those those things that people throw around, you're so basic or people that's that's a low and high culture thing. Yeah. Oh, it's so basic. Well, more closing statement. Uh, yes. Backstreet Boys are better than Nirvana. Okay, here we go. Highbrow, lowbrow. <laughs> I'm saying it. We've been raised to believe one is that it's obvious that it has to be the other way. It's not true. Those are those aren't universal natural beliefs. See, they're cultural. And, they're and, created. Backstreet Boys are better. Better written songs. More chords. Cooler chords. Harmonies are sicker. Kurt kind of had a shitty voice, reminiscent of Nickelback. <laughs> I know Nickelback came after, but think about it now. See, and this is living your convictions out, ladies and gentlemen. Backstreet Boys. See, Max that, Martin. See, that's the thing. You got to be able to live out your convictions and live out what you feel is correct and right in terms of you know your artistic tastes. And you should be able to express that as cogently and as, you know, fluidly as Danny just did right there. So I do want everybody to get some confidence from that. You know, I might disagree, but I want some get some confidence from that and be able to tell people what you All think apologies. about your art. <laughs> All apologies. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you. 